paper, it's called uh, Outsourcing and a Mistake in the Theory of Value. And it, it, it came about, uh, I've had an interesting relationship with Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, he actually influenced me a lot in, in legal, right about here, okay, influenced me a lot in legal thinking. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the guy who uh, helped give us supply-side economics is now giving us uh, what I think is a really crank theory on outsourcing, but unfortunately, again, often crank theories start getting legs, especially in, during a recession. During a recession, let's just face it, that the last thing people want to know is the truth. They don't, they're not particularly interested in the Austrian business cycle theory because the Austrian business cycle theory says, by the way, we're going to have a recession and it's, and it's going to be nasty. And on the other side of it, we can have a recovery because we have people like, of course, Paul Krugman, uh, who believe that you can just perpetuate the boom conditions forever by printing money. Uh, by the way, I would like to make a plug. I, I do have a blog called Krugman in Wonderland. Um, and it's got dashes between Krugman uh, and N and N and Wonderland, and it's one of the blogspot ones. So uh, I would urge you, urge you to to go to that site sometime and make me feel good about myself. All right. Um, so I've called outsourcing and a mistaken theory of value. So let's see how well my very first PowerPoint goes. Okay. Um, outsourcing. According to Paul Craig Roberts, now he was used to be Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Reagan administration, is a greater threat than terrorism. In other words, that um, uh, see that that's nothing. That's just a building going, you know, going down. Uh, we're talking about outsourcing here. Much worse. Okay. So serious accusation. This is what he what he writes. Free traders are resurrecting class war, not because they are Marxists but because they confuse free trade with global labor arbitrage. Free traders turn cold shoulders to U.S. job losses from offshore outsourcing because they mistake the losses for the beneficial workings of comparative advantage. Committed to a 200-year-old theory that they no longer understand, free traders are cheering on the destruction of middle-class jobs and the dismantling of the ladders of upward mobility that make large income disparities politically acceptable. That's a mouthful. Uh, and, uh, and they probably, you know, I suspect those free traders also beat puppies and, uh, and, you know, stick pins and dolls and things. But nonetheless, this is, this is the claim. All right. Now, according to Roberts, we have the theory of Everybody knows the theory of comparative advantage. I don't think, you know, and, uh, and so what he writes, though, is it holds only when capital cannot cross international borders. In other words, that if, now labor can cross borders, kind of. But what Roberts is saying is that uh, when, when, um, in 1815, when uh, Ricardo wrote his principles uh, of political economy and taxation, that factors of production were relatively fixed in each country, and so you could therefore get a real clear advantage, uh, I mean a real clear picture of what comparative advantage would look like. 
So he says, Ricardo imposed the condition of relative capital immobility internationally in order that specialization according to comparative advantage could occur. Otherwise, a capital, country's capital, would flow to absolute advantage abroad. When U.S. firms substitute foreign labor for domestic labor in their production for domestic markets, capital is flowing to absolute advantage. Now, I have no idea what he's saying. Uh, because, now, and, and we'll, I'll get in that in a minute, but that's, that's where Roberts is coming from. And so it's that, okay, once capital flows, uh, then all bets are off. We're back to absolute advantage again. Okay, I want to, uh, and I will deal with that specifically. But all right, so we have a, the following scenario: U.S. firms, who's the greedy capitalists, uh, unilaterally decide to outsource because they can make more profits. Especially, they outsource the high wage, what he calls the high wage, high value added jobs. Okay, the loss of that value added. Okay, is a net loss to the U.S. economy. All right, this is important to keep in mind as well. Furthermore, workers are unemployed and future workers become discouraged as they know their jobs will be outsourced. Even if capitalists make net profits, they gain at the expense of workers and the income disparities weaken the economy. So this is his whole point about income disparities. Okay, now this is very interesting. These net losses have a dual effect. Number one, we're no longer manufacturing these high value added, uh, the, you know, we, we no longer have the high wage, high value added jobs. All right. And so now these, uh, and these people are making goods abroad with the idea of importing them back to the, you, you know, into the U.S. economy. However, however, that because we're producing less, now they can't import back what they uh, were making abroad to import here in the first place. Thus, according to Roberts, the econ- economy becomes a third world economy because firm, all because firm owners decide to engage in outsourcing abroad. So this will be our future. And um, kind of cute, really. Yeah, but, um, <clears throat> they, they they need to recycle those bottles, all right? And uh, if they if they can just hit, maybe what they need are green jobs, and then everything will be fine. But um, all right, I want to read a couple couple more Roberts quotes. What is happening is that foreign labor is substituted for U.S. labor in the production of of the goods and services that Americans consume. Americans lose the income and employment associated with the production of the goods that they consume. This is really starting to sound a little bit like uh, Marx and alienation, but you know I'm not going to call them a Marxist. Uh, the loss of these jobs is, quote, fool's gold for companies. Corporate America's short-term mentality stemming from bonuses tied to quarterly results is cu- causing U.S. companies to lose not only their best employees, their human capital, but also the consumers who buy their products. Employees displaced by foreigners and left unemployed or in lower paid work have a reduced presence in the consumer market. They provide fewer retirement savings for new investment. Okay, so you can see how the dynamic is going here. And with Roberts, it all begins with outsourcing. That's ground zero. That outsourcing, that what happened, all of a sudden corporations became greedy. And not only that, but you started having, you know, that these 
these people abroad got rid of communism. It's terrible. I mean, the Chinese, uh, I know that they've got a communist party, but they, they're just not very good communists anymore. And uh, so they, and all of a sudden you've got an educated workforce that will work for less than what we work for. Okay. As proof, what he does, he, I've got a quote here, plus an email that he received from somebody. Okay, as I write about the economic hardships created for Americans by Wall Street and corporate greed and by indifferent and, imbri and bribed political representatives, I get many letters from former middle-class families who are being driven into p uh, uh, penury. P uh, well, I don't know how to uh, anyway, uh Penury or whatever. Here is, here is one recently uh, arrived, and it goes on. Um, how much time do I have? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can, it'll take me at least 15 minutes to read that. But, but uh, thank you for your tr continued truthful commentary on the new economy. My husband and I could be its poster children. Nine years ago when we were married, we were both working good, paying, secure jobs in the semiconductor manufacturing industry. Our income, combined income topped 100000 a year. We were living the dream. Then the nightmare began. I lost my job in the great tech bubble of 2003. I thought that happened a little bit earlier, but nonetheless. And decided to leave the labor force to care for our infant son. Fine. We tightened the belt, and we started getting squeezed. Expenses rose. We downsized, yet my husband's job stagnated. After several years of no pay raises, he finally lost his job a year and a half ago. But he didn't just lose a job, he lost a career. The semiconductor industry is virtually gone here in Arizona. Three months later, my husband, with a technical degree and 20-plus years of solid work experience, received one job offer for an entry-level corrections officer. We had to take it at almost a 40% reduction in pay. Bankruptcy followed when our savings were depleted. We lost our house, a car, and any assets we had left. His salary last year, less than 40000 to support a family of four. A year and a half later, we were still struggling to get by. I can't find a job that would cover the cost of daycare. We are stuck. Every jump in gas and food prices hit us hard. Without help from my family, we couldn't have made it. So I could tell you just how that new economy has worked for us, but I'd rather not use that kind of language. And what Roberts does, he said, this is going to be the scenario for all of us. Uh, so uh, get ready to climb into that barrel and look for those uh, empty bottles. Okay. All right. Well, that's just true. Okay. Does outsourcing actually, does the dynamic that he gives us actually destroy the U.S. economy from within? All right. Well, Obviously, if I'm calling my title a mistaken theory of value and other things, well, then I'm going to say no. All right, I start with Bob Murphy, the same Bob Murphy who spoke this morning. Um, the case for free trade really isn't about jobs at all, but rather living standards. In a free labor market, wages and salaries would adjust until all who wanted to work at the prevailing market rates could do so. In such a scenario, dropping tariffs wouldn't create jobs. It would merely shift workers from less to more productive lines. Okay. Um, now, Robert's points, he says, look, we're not even talking about trade. We're talking about factor mobility. This has nothing to do with, with actual trade. Because with Robert's, trade is only in finished goods. Okay. Finished goods. That's trade. Nothing else is trade. I don't know. And uh, it's kind of like he shifts the goalposts a lot but in his arguments. But but nonetheless, 
the the issue I think that we one of the things we have to we're talking about is not jobs. Okay, it actually is living standards. What you know, do we have higher living standards now than we had say 30, 40 years ago, whatever? Uh yes we do. I mean I know the map Paul Krugman says we're poorer now than we were in the past. Uh as you know as one who uh, moved to Chattanooga in 1964, and, and one of the places I hated to come to was the state of Alabama because I'd never seen so many shacks in my life. You know, I don't see those shacks now. And, uh, I mean, the living standards have, have arisen. Okay. Rothbard. Okay, now this is, now at the time, I mean, you know, if Murray, believe me, if Murray were alive, I'm sure he'd have plenty to say to Craig. But, um, and by the way, I will also point out, I get a lot of emails from him, about 10 a day. Most of them deleted. Uh, most of them say things like, uh, I won't use the language that he uses, but Americans are all stupid. Uh, economists uh, have their head in the sand. You libertarians have your head in the sand. You don't see what's happening. And uh, and I tried, and I sent him a letter once. I tried to engage him a little bit, and he writes back and says, you sound like what you're saying is you want the entire economy to be outsourced. Uh, it's okay. Uh, every once in a while, Lou sends him an email. I just gave up on it. Uh, on some areas, like on, on law, he's actually, you know, he's, he's still pretty good. Uh, but, and on the, and things like war and all that, pretty good. But, you know, unfortunately here, well, he's not pretty good. Uh, all right. Now, Rothbard just does say something interesting, I think very important about trade. The best way to look at tariffs or import quotas or other protectionist restraints. And by the way, you know, I want to, because ultimately what Roberts recommends our tariffs and quotas. Okay. He actually, uh, I remember seeing an email. I, you know, I asked him what, and he said that we need to have quotas and all that. Okay. Um, or other protectionist restraints is to forget about political boundaries. Political boundaries of nations may be important for other reasons, but they have no economic meaning whatsoever. Now this is important because Rothbard is saying we are talking about exchange. There isn't anything that's going to allow America to become wealthier by making it more difficult to engage in exchange abroad. Now that, you know, is pretty much standard free trade policy. Okay, now he talks about what happened when we did have, quote, outsourcing. The very thing Roberts is complaining about, if you remember back in the 30s and, and really on to about the 1960s, that you had textile factories closing in the north and other kinds of factories as well, closing in the north and then moving to the south, places like North Carolina and South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama. So it says, during the 1966 congressional battle over higher federal minimum wage, for example, the late Senator Jacob Javits freely admitted that one of his main reasons for supporting the bill was to cripple the southern competitors of New York textile firms. Since southern wages are generally lower than in the north, business firms hit hardest by an increased minimum wage and the workers struck by unemployment will be located in the south. All right. And so what uh, and again, our Roberts would argue, by the way, it's those high wages in the north. If you locate to the south, then we'll all be poor. All right. Now, I'm going to come at Roberts from two uh, from two different points. First. His value theory, speaking specifically of value added, which I have at the bottom, it's an accounting concept. It's not an economic concept that we begin with, as Austrians begin with the final product. 
for that matter, you've got Marshall and uh, derived demand. You begin with the final product, you impute backwards. All right, that even though a, a produced good, yes, at different stages, it adds on and adds on. I can assure you, folks, you don't want to buy a Ferrari without an engine. Uh, that it's not like, okay, now it's worth, uh, you know, 90 thousand dollars we'll put this ten thousand dollar engine in i know it's a lot more than that but just you know just bear with you know put the ten thousand dollar and now instead of being worth ninety thousand now it's a hundred thousand no ferrari without an engine it's not going to be worth ninety thousand dollars all right his value theory really is a little more than a restatement of the cost of production theory of value that this is what it is what is he saying he's saying that the production itself and the wages paid and all that is what creates value here all right, and it obviously conflicts with the Austrian theory. All right, on comparative advantage, comparative advantage is not really a theory. It's not speculation. It's a restatement of opportunity cost. Okay, let's change the wording. Put another way, Roberts is saying that if capital is mobile across international borders, opportunity cost no longer matters. Now, this is interesting. I mean... You know, this is rewriting the fundamental laws of economics. What he's saying is that if capital goes across borders, then boom, everything changes. There is no more opportunity cost. And that's interesting. You know, that nobody makes decisions based on opportunity costs anymore. Uh, very strange. All right. Okay, question is, why do firms outsource? Well, one is the productivity issue, where I'm not given in the paper – uh, which I haven't finished sourcing, and the paper is way too long, and it sucks. And um, I, w I would not recommend reading it right now. Um, but uh, it is finished. It just I've got to do some stuff to it. But you have a situation where, for example, the Kia plant moving in. All right, that's going to put upward pressure on wages elsewhere in the area. There's a productivity issue there. Okay, and so as what was happening in New York was that that there were other kinds of businesses that were having higher wages that in fact forcing up wages that uh would make it so the owners of capital and certain you know of certain kinds of goods are going to have to go where the public is going to be willing to buy the final product. It doesn't have a higher price because, well, you know, I got to pay my higher wages. You know, it's like GM. And, you know, and so, uh, but the second one I think is much more important. Uh, governments force up the opportunity cost of labor, but they don't add anything to it. There's no productivity. They just make it harder and more expensive to do business, but you don't get anything for it. They just raise your costs. They raise business costs. And in fact, Roberts is arguing for for laws and regulations and the like that will force up business costs with the idea somehow this will make us wealthier. Uh, you know, and so I, I think that, in fact, I, here's my concluding paragraph. You know, if we watched anything, learn anything watching the disasters, uh, you can't create prosperity by fiat, okay? Furthermore, Roberts wants us to believe that the bloated wage contracts at places like General Motors and Chrysler 
somehow are responsible for creating wealth instead of actually destroying it. It's like, you know, oh yeah, Henry Ford doubled his labor costs, you know, or doubled the wages that he paid the workers, and that's what created the middle class. Yeah, a little factory in Dearborn creates the middle class. Um, and without people realizing the opportunity cost reasons why Ford made that particular move. And so, you know, it's, here's the thing. In the end, I mean, it really sounds good. I mean, he had an op-ed in the New York Times with Senator Charles Schumer. And, uh, you know, that, yeah, we understand that's all the rules are different now. We have mobile capital, so therefore comparative advantage no longer operates. So what he's really saying is opportunity costs no longer exist. And, you know, the rest of us are sitting back and saying, you know, that doesn't make much sense. Thank you. Thank you.